Thank you, Al. And I want to say it's been a joy for me to share a brief evening in their home last evening. Brief because I arrived late, not because they wouldn't let me stay longer. But uh, I want to say thank you for your hospitality and for you as a church family. I count it an honor to share in a special day like this in honor of your testimony of ministry through these years. And uh, I count your pastor and his wife as dear friends. Thank you for sharing him as he serves on our board of directors. I know that maybe he doesn't have a uh, comfort maybe in talking about that, lest it appear boastful, but I'm very grateful for his contribution and his faithfulness and being a part of that. And currently even serves as the vice chairman to our board and does an exceptional job of just representing the work of the Lord and participating in the important matters of ministry of Appalachian Bible College. You know, your church started in a home. God bless you, folk. And I don't know if it was in your home directly or if you were just part of the parent family members that were there. You know, Appalachian shares a similar history of very modest beginnings. Seven students in 1950 in Pettus Baptist Church. And from that modest beginning of seven students, which uh, probably in most circles would not even be called a college, but uh, modest beginnings has been blessed of the Lord. And today's a day when I would like to suggest I wish I weren't president of Appalachian so I could share with you without you thinking I'm just trying to give my spiel as to how impacting that ministry has been on my life. And I thank the Lord for the outreach that it has literally around the world. You prayed today for the Gales, for example. Uh, Do you realize that uh, we have on our campus right now a student is a part of their ministry, Kasi. I wish you could have heard last Sunday as I was at a service where a baptismal was taking place for my granddaughter there, local in the community, and Kasi's going to that church, has uh, just uh, made a student membership joining of that church. And uh, he, as a part of their process, was required to share his testimony of how he had been led to Christ and how he was following in this step of membership in this local church in our community And I promise you, you would find yourself saying, as you pray for the Gales, guess what? You are praying for Akasi, who is a dynamic young man who is going to make a dynamic impact on the ministry of Togo, West Africa. So never doubt the circle of impact of your ministry. And as you partner and support for the handshoes that are there, thank you for doing that. Uh, One of the unique things about Appalachian is we're a team of missionaries, literally, not just in the sense that we talk about all Christians being missionaries, but I stand here today, you'll see on our literature table out there a prayer card that's not just to try and promote a position as president, it's because my wife and I now in our 35th year of serving there as missionaries have been privileged to have a roster of supporting friends, independent Bible churches supported us for nearly 35 years as a part of their missions team. And I thank God for the wonderful privilege that it is to partner in that way. And uh, so thank you for the privilege of sharing in this day, honoring your testimony of faithfulness through these 21 years. You know, uh, a day like today has already been rich with opportunities to sort of reminisce. We sang that beautiful rendition of Remember. And I found my heart just uh, thinking that this has to be a day when lots of your minds are filled as you sing those powerful, meaningful words of that little song. And uh, the reminder to love the Lord Jesus that was so fittingly rendered by the, the choir and then our own uh, joining in and my Jesus, I love thee. You know, this is a great day for those kinds of reminders, the testimonies. Thank you for sharing your testimony and for Debbie and I know she was in the first service, and so her departure I don't take personally, but I'll get her later. No, I won't say that. 
You can tell her I said that. I've stayed in their home and I, I said to her between the services, I said, you know, I love a person with spunk and especially a lady with spunk. Uh, you know, a man without a spark plug is not worth a hoot. And so uh, I just want you to know I thank God for spark plugs in my life. And uh, she's a real joy. But having said that, those testimonies were reflections. This is a day to reminisce and to remember what God has done for you. And, you know, the Bible's got remembrances for us. There's a portion of Scripture that is rich with opportunity to reflect upon this day from a vantage point of history. The Bible gives renditions of churches, literal existing churches, and God's review of them. And so I think it's fitting for us to look at one of those churches today and just examine from that vantage point the reflections in your testimony as Fellowship Bible Church. 21. I'm old enough and of a vintage, and so some of you that are younger won't fully appreciate this, but there are those in this room who will. There was a time when 21 years of age was a significant milestone. How many of you would identify with that marker? Please say, I'm not talking about turning 21. You remember when 21 was really something important. You got to vote. There were some other things you should do, I mean, could do that you shouldn't do. But uh, the long and the short of it is 21. I, I think this is a significant milestone in your church's history. 21 years of age. It's not an invitation to arrogance or accomplishment, but it is a reminder of, a, of an accomplishment of sorts that you should remind your heart, what does God want as we're a church now celebrating our 21st year of testimony in this community? Through the eyes of a portion of scripture, Revelation chapter 2, if you'd turn there please, I'd like to just reflect upon the testimony of a church of scripture that has before it an opportunity for you to reflect upon your church. As you're turning to Revelation chapter 2, just a quick reminder that this is a collection of seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. We're not going to look at all of them, but the argument or the purpose of John's writing the book of Revelation was to give this summation, uh, first of all, the work of Christ in chapter 1, the things that were, and then the things that in his days were currently existing, chapters 2 and 3, those seven churches of that region of Asia Minor where Paul had ministered and where the church had flourished and grown and been established, and then the portion of scripture of Revelation from chapter 4 to the end was reflecting future things that were going to happen. Uh, the church's present was not going to be a part of that in the terms of the tribulation events. It was going to be removed. Even chapter 4 gives a rather interesting transition of John's perspective where he's no longer on an earthly status reviewing this vision. He's actually from a heavenly status looking down upon events that were going to take place because the church was not going to go through those events literally. And so in that perspective, chapters 2 and 3 capture the present. Now there are differing views as to how that portion of scripture is viewed. There are those who see it as sort of a rendition of the scope of all of church history. So they'll say the first church is talking about the founding of the church, day of Pentecost and the early years of the church. And as you go through each of those successive seven churches, you finally come to the final one, which is referenced as the Laodicean church. And we've often had persons say the Laodicean age as though it's some segment of time. I, I believe that's a view that can be held over that. I don't personally hold that view because I think these seven churches all existed simultaneously. They're indicative of the kind of church that could exist at any time. And I take comfort in that because guess what? Even though this is maybe by the persons who describe it as the ages of church history, Laodicean, 
I don't have to, you don't have to be a part of a compromised church like described about Laodicea. We have the privilege to be a vibrant, vital, impacting collection of believers for Christ. And God help us to do that. And so with that in mind, I think instead, what is occurring here in chapters 2 and 3 is a collection of seven literal existing churches at that time who give us opportunity to learn there are different kinds of churches and different settings of churches and different circumstances and we ought to learn from them. Uh, I remind you of a little saying that was on a meat market wall when I was a kid growing up in the state of Iowa. Uh, back in the days when uh, not everybody had their own individual freezer. And I know that sounds older than I am, but that was the stage of my life at that point in rural America. And so my parents didn't have a freezer. We didn't have a, we had a little freezer chest on the top of a refrigerator, but didn't have our own actual freezer. We rented space in this locker, Steinball locker, and uh, you'd have space and you'd go put your frozen stuff in there. And every so often you'd go up there and get a few things and bring them home and put them in the little refrigerator freezer box. Now, if that sounds ancient, it isn't. You've already heard my age. I'm not much older than your pastor, though I look much younger than him. Oh, 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 oh. No, I don't work as hard as he does. That's the problem. But the longer the shorter of this, on this meat, rock, meat, meat market wall was this saying, I've never forgotten as a child. I'd go there with my mother to help get the stuff out of the freezer and bring it home. And it said this, learn from others' mistakes. You don't live long enough to make them all yourself. <laughs> learn from others' mistakes. You don't live long enough to make them all yourself. So this portion of scripture, and the Bible even says that, these things were written for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. So this portion of scripture is a great opportunity for Fellowship Bible Church to review itself. To reflect upon itself and see how you can learn from this illustration of a real church of the first century. I'd like you to now stand with me if you would. And I want to read this portion of scripture before us. Revelation chapter 2 if you've turned to it. Stand with me please. And. I'm going to read these seven verses and then we're just going to quickly highlight some thoughts as we reflect upon this portion of God's word through the lens of a first century church called Ephesus. Follow as I read Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them who are evil. And thou hast tried them who say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from where thou art fallen, and repent, and do the works, the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy lampstand out of its place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God." Thank you. you. may be seated, and as your Bibles are before you, I'd like to ask you to follow as we just quickly recount from this first century church at Ephesus four reflections that you ought to look through as you review your church today. These reflections provide an opportunity for us to just think about what God has for your church through the example of this church. These reflections become somewhat snapshots, pictures, 
review, like you would get maybe when you go to a physician to check your condition physically. I had the experience here recently to have an exam by a physician, and at the conclusion of the blood test, the blood work came back, and he said, we've got a problem. Your cholesterol is rising to the level that it's of concern. I think we need to get you on medication. Now, you don't know me well enough to know this, but I don't like medications. I don't even like doctors who give medications. And so consequently, I said to the doc, he's a personal friend, I said, do you mind if you wait until the next round? It was six months later to get another checkup. I get one every six months. And he said, okay, we'll see if you can do something to control it with exercise and diet, etc. It was dangerously high. I don't mind saying that. My wife was a little cautious about this request, but we agreed to it. And so for the next six months, I proceeded to go through some rigorous change of eating and exercise. And, and I couldn't wait until I got to the point of examination the next time. And thankfully, the blood work came back and the cholesterol was way below where it needed to be. And I don't have to do medications. This is the time for you to say yes or something like that. No, I'll oh, get out of there. That wasn't what I was wanting. But my point is this. I reflected upon what was wrong and found myself changing in light of that. Now this portion of scripture gives us a reflection of a church. And I'm not suggesting there are things wrong here, but may I just tell you, if you can review this reflection and find nothing wrong, so be it. But if you find something wrong, we need to do something about it. Reflection number one. What you noted in verse one is this. We see the sovereign who assesses us, if you will. The physician on site. Verse 1 says, Under the angel of the church of Ephesus, and incidentally, an angel there is, is a, just a poetic way or symbolic way. The book of Revelation is filled with symbolism. And so it's a symbolic way, I believe, for John to address the leader of that church body, probably the pastor. And so you could say, Under the pastor of the church of Ephesus, I want to write and tell you, here's what you need to be saying about your church and to your church. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of these seven golden stands. That's all of the seven different churches that were referenced. These two thoughts about this sovereign who is doing this assessment. Number one is he controls the church. Never ever, Fellowship Bible Church, forget that Jesus Christ is the ultimate head of your church. He is the controlling one. And so he holds in his hands. And by the way, it's his church, not your church. I don't say that with any disdain for all the sacrifice and efforts that you've put into this place and that you put into this place on an ongoing basis. But never forget, it's his church. And so the control of this sovereign who is assessing us, but also with great, great joy, the care of this sovereign. Look at verse 1. It says, he walks in the midst of these seven golden lampstands. He has this concerning, caring spirit. What a great privilege to know that our ministry is in the hands of the one who cares for us. And so your church always has the resource of the assurance of the caring hand of the sovereign who oversees you. That's the first reflection. Do you remember that he is in control of you? Do you revel in the fact that he cares for you? Reflection number one. But we come to the second reflection in the passage, and it's one that's found for us in verses 2 and 3, and then also verse 6. 
It becomes somewhat of the initial reflection by the one doing the reviewing, the sovereign as he assesses, makes this particular reference, and I call it the status to acknowledge in verses 2 and 3 and verse 6. What's their status? Well, we find these terms that I think are fitting. Verse 2 says, I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience. You cannot bear evil. If you will, status number one is dedication. This is a church of great dedicated membership. And they're described with terms here that are pretty noble. I know thy works. This was not a static, worthless church. It was a working church. And furthermore, their works described with the intensity of the term labor. It literally means to work to the point of exhaustion. I'm sure some of you have had those moments as you've worked around here. You see, it's a great responsibility to oversee and participate in the ministry of a church family. And so the dedication seen through their works and through their working to the point of exhaustion, through their patience, that word patience there literally has behind it the thought of enduring and bearing up under the weight of something. I'm sure there are moments in the 21 years of the history of this church where the weight of some particular burden has been heavy upon you, whether it was the weight of a personal concern or the weight of some kind of progress that you were undertaking with the building of your facilities or with the particular weight of a burden for a particular aspect of ministry. Can I just tell you, patience, bearing up under the weight. And so dedication is seen. But not only dedication, a second status symbol here is their discernment. Look at verse 2. Thou hast tried them who say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. That's not a very pleasant task. It's the task of discerning those who are for real and those who aren't. May I just tell you, there's a wide range of discernment that you exercise as a church family. I think in this case, it's talking about discernment with reference to leadership. The apostles, that's a term that was used to describe those that were sent with leadership responsibilities. This is not referring to the 12 apostles as we talk about it. I sometimes say in the Bible we have big A apostles and little A apostles. Big big A apostles were a unique and restricted and and exclusive group called the 12. And they had certain privileges and responsibilities that went with the planning of the church, foundation stones to the church. But then the term apostle is used in, a, in sort of a categorical way. It's probably the closest term we have in the New Testament to our word missionary. Literally means a sent one. And so there were those that would come through as itinerants and they would claim to be this kind of a preacher and that kind of a preacher and that kind of a servant. And, and Ephesus was really a high point of that intersection because it was such an important city where lots of things exchanged. That was the place, do you remember, where Paul spent two plus years establishing the first Bible college. Literally a place where there was training. That was a place where Timothy was discovered and then eventually becomes the pastor of that noble congregation. And so regularly guys were coming through with their little you know, efforts to try and claim some status of ministry. And Ephesus was good about knowing the phonies from the real. Can I just tell you, as a church body, you need to always be discerning. There's always going to be somebody that comes in and claims that their ministry is legit or what they're doing is of God. And you need discernment as a church family. And so that's the Ephesus compliment here. Their status of dedication, their status of discernment, but also their status of determination in verse 3. Thou hast borne. By the way, I should go back to verse 2. I have a note in my Bible here I meant to mention. I didn't get time in the first service. I can't let it go in the service. Can'ts not bear in verse 2 literally means tolerate. 
In today's culture, can I just tell you, we have such a changed definition of toleration. We think that toleration is the mark of American democracy. That means everything is equally okay. Can I tell you, American democracy toleration is, you have the right to exist, but it doesn't mean I have to say you're right. (laughs) That's the historic understanding of toleration. In today's culture, toleration is, you have a view, I have a view. We must both see each other as equally right. And by the way, that only introduces a belief that is no belief. (laughs) And frankly, if that sounds a little bit irritating to you, so be it. I'm leaving after lunch. (laughs) (laughs) And I might not even get lunch after that, and I don't know. But my point is this. God help you, Fellowship Bible Church, to have the courage to face the criticism for being intolerant. Because you see, if you're going to be biblical, you're going to say things like this. There's only one way to be saved. That's intolerant in today's world. There's only one God. That's intolerant. There's only one Bible. That's intolerant. And I say without shame... God, help us to be gracious and kind. I use this term, candor with kindness is the way we ought to exercise our convictions. Unapologetic, unashamed. But as has been said by, I give my wife credit for this saying because I heard it first from her, but I doubt it was original with her. But she has this saying that she uses, the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it, you just let it go. (laughs) Yeah. And so, that's the further point on this discernment. I couldn't let that pass. You understand, I have a few opinions about that, huh? (laughs) But then determination is verse 3. You've borne, that's a word of diligent, enduring work, and has patience, again, holding up under, for my namesake, you've labored that same work to exhaustion, you've not fainted. Determination. A moment ago, your pastor referenced, I believe a decade. I don't know if there was something magic about that decade that was referenced as far as the church's history. Maybe it was before things got off and running well. Was that the decade of significance? I don't know. But can I tell you, I have no doubt through the history of this place, there have been moments when persons wondered if it was going to really go. Can I tell you what made it go? Certainly it was the Lord. But it was hearts who were determined to say, by God's grace, This is God's work. I look back on our history at Appalachian Bible College, and I can tell you there are times that the struggles are immense and enormous, and and you sometimes say, is it worth it? But can I tell you, when I get alone with the Lord and allow Him to minister to my heart, I say, oh God, this is your work. Sustain it. Determination. But then there's one final thought in verse 6, and that is this. We see that they also had a declaration that they, de- that they declared. Verse 6, this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds. The declaration they made is, we hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, it's tastefully placed. It doesn't say they hated the Nicolaitans. They hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, some of you say, well, what's that? You might have a note in your Bible that explains it. I hope so. Or if you have some opportunity of knowing that. Nicolaitans were people of the day, so-called, because they were folk who had this practice of believing that they were saved by grace, but thought that grace gave them permission to be whatever they wanted to be because grace was going to take care of it. Paul puts it this way. Should we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And here's my challenge to you as a church family. Never overlook the fact that when someone trusts Christ as Savior... 
there's going to be a difference if they've really trusted Christ as Savior. And for us to suggest that we're under grace and not under law, so we shouldn't have any kind of stipulation of belief or required practice of standard, can I just tell you that's contrary to the Word of God. In fact, if you do a diligent study, there are more commands of obedience in the New Testament than the Old Testament. But the Nicolaitans sort of say, well, you know, we're under grace. We're not under this law stuff anymore. We can just do whatever we want. And this Ephesus church was commended. Their status was, they declared, we don't approve of that kind of thinking. What a great testimony. We could close the Bible at that point and say, boy, that's a great church. But we come to our third reflection. If we saw the sovereign who is assessing and the particular circumstances, the status that they were acknowledged for, we now find thirdly, verses 4 and 5, a situation that needs to be addressed. Verses 4 and 5, a situation that needs to be addressed. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Or literally, I have against thee. The somewhat is not part of the text originally. Because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from where thou art fallen. I want to say at the outset that as a guest and as a just a itinerant, I can't accuse you as a church of this particular circumstance. But I can unashamedly say, you be careful or it'll get there. I use this phrase to describe what's at risk here, and that is the sin of getting used to it. The sin of getting used to it. You know, when God fed the children of Israel in the wilderness, they found themselves desperately crying out to God for food, and God provided manna to them, and they were absolutely ecstatic about this special food from heaven. But you know, day after day, eating the same stuff, eventually they came to the point that it was despicable to them, and they started complaining about that which they previously had been grateful for. You know, it's possible for us in our walk with the Lord to become so used to our spiritual journey that we become careless. This first love that's talked about in verse 4 Uh, I have somewhat against thee, you've left your first love. There are two primary interpretations of that that I'd like you to note with me briefly. The, The one interpretation is the fact that a person has diminished in their fervency, so they've left the fervency of their love for the Lord. And I think that's a very legitimate fact, is I think that's the preferred understanding of that particular phrase. It's easy to lose that fervency. I don't know when you were saved. I was saved at age five. And so my testimony is somewhat vanilla in the sense that I don't have any wretched, you know, days of debauchery. I, you know, I mean, I was just, I mean, my sinfulness was not because of sinning. I was born sinful. I want you to know theologically I understand that. But when we talk about what does a five-year-old kid do that is so horrible, I would steal and lie and pull my sister's hair and all those other things. But I hadn't committed murder and I hadn't gone out and shot drugs and been drunk and all those things that might sometimes be seen as the biggies. Uh, But I can tell you honestly, having been saved at age five, I remember very, very, you know, clearly. It was in Columbia, Iowa on a fall day about this time of the year. I remember the leaves were in beautiful coloration. 
only had to go to kindergarten a half a day, and I liked it actually. I mean, not the half day, but I liked kindergarten in those days. In a little two-room school, that sounds older than I am, but it was rural America, so there were eight grades and you know, two teachers in a two-room schoolhouse in Columbia, Iowa. That's where I started school. And I can remember when I got saved that fall, the day after I trusted Christ as Savior, I trusted Christ in my, you know, through the leading of my mother and my home. The next day going to school, I was ecstatic about being saved. Five years old. But I also have to testify over the course of those years, I comfortably continued to know I was saved to the praise of the Lord and to the credit of those who taught me. I can honestly say I've never doubted my salvation in all the years that I was saved to this day. Not because I was so good or was so smart, but because I had godly people guiding me to know what it meant to be saved. But you know what? I did come to a point, and I remember very distinctly, and I was involved in my doctoral studies at the time. Uh, my wife and I were attending a small church in Mesquite, Texas, and uh, it happened to be an opportunity that came to us where she could be an organist in this church, and they were going to pay her to do it, and we needed the money. I was in school, and so that you know, sounds like a real spiritual reason to choose a church. It was an okay doctrinal church and all that, but that was what really brought us to that church. Central Baptist Church, Mesquite, Texas. That pastor there had a wonderful habit of having his people every Sunday night share testimonies. And it was a church that was... I think just spiritually vibrant to the point that on those Sunday evenings, I can remember the first couple, three weeks going, and, and these men just spontaneously stood up sharing their testimonies. I've named them as I've used this illustration. It was the Vernons, Vernon Allrad. It was the Danny, Danny Thomas. He wasn't the famous guy, but his name was Danny Thomas. It was Barney Pyle, and it's not the one you think of, but his name was Barney Pyle. It was a collection of guys. And on it went, and... They'd stand and with simplicity and some measure of trepidness just say something like this. I just want to stand and say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. And they'd sit down. Now, the first couple of weeks I heard those testimonies, I found myself saying, boy, these guys are really something. About the third or fourth week of hearing the same testimonies, I remember beginning to judge them and say, can't you get something else? Hasn't God done something else for you? <laughs> and over the next few weeks, I found myself enduring those testimony services and in my sharp and critical spirit, you know, saying, you know, what's wrong with you? But a few weeks further into that, I began to learn to know Vernon and Danny and Barney. And I heard their testimonies of what God had saved them from. And they'd lived wretched lives and terrible testimonies of practiced sin. And you know what? The bottom line was, they never got over that Jesus saved them. I've got to tell you, when I became convicted of that, I remember the Sunday night where it happened with brokenness. I said, oh, God, forgive me for getting used to being saved. And I cried out for his help. And to the praise of God, I've never been the same when I share my testimony. Have you lost your first love? That fervency for what Jesus did when he saved you. By the way, it's possible you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Can I tell you, you're missing out on the most precious, precious relationship privilege you'll ever have. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved.
There's a second view of that first love loss, and that is the loss of the focus on Jesus being first. It's fairly parallel, but you know what? It's possible for us to get so wrapped in what we're doing that we really don't realize that the whole purpose of what we do is for the Lord. I don't know which is your need, possibly, this morning, but can I tell you, as we review your history, as we acknowledge this day, knowing that the people that are gathered here make Fellowship Bible Church what it is, not the building, is there a chance that in your heart personally you have become somewhat used to your relationship to God? Have you lost your focus on the Lord Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith? So the situation that needs to be addressed, we see the concern that was there in verse 4, but we see the correction in verse 5. Would you look at the correction, please? I'll just tick them off without developing them. It's a series of words here. Remember, it starts with acknowledging it. It leads then to repenting. You change. It leads then, then to returning, coming back to that first work. It leads next to the recognition that there's risk if you don't. There's a chance that you'll have your testimony altered. The lampstand removal is not the matter of losing salvation. It's the fact that your brightness and your testimony in the community will be tarnished. And thus the final real concern of this situation that needs to be corrected is, lest you be removed. And you know what? There are churches that had noble histories that no longer exist today. Why? Because of this. They forgot instead of remembered. They didn't repent. They didn't return. They didn't realize the risk of their lamp and their testimony being lost. And thus it was removed. And today on this special day of honor, without accusation but with genuine interrogation, I ask you, is there a situation that needs to be addressed in your life? passage is summarized with our final verse in verse 7, and I give it to you very quickly, and that is this. In light of what we've seen, the sovereign who is assessing us, the status that we can acknowledge that we have, the situation that needs to be addressed, comes to this now final reflection, number four, a summary that we need to accept. That summary has these four key thoughts. Would you note them first? We need to be humbled. He that hath an ear. Now, please know, just like as a parent, when you say to your child, didn't you hear me? You knew they heard you. They just didn't heed you. It takes a humbled heart to admit, yes, you were right. I needed to listen. Are you willing to be humbled? He that hath an ear, humbled. Secondly, heeding, or pardon me, hearing. Let him hear what the Spirit says. Once we've been humbled, we're now willing to be hearing what he tells us. To then thirdly, in this summary, to be heeding what he tells us to do. Obeying, be an overcomer. To then recognize that then gives us what we really need, and that is God's blessing. To be having is my word. So to humble, to hear, to heed, to have. 
And what do we want to have? I give to them to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of garden. Now you might say, well, that's something talking about heaven when we eat the heavenly fruit. No, really, this is tied all the way back to the creation account in the Garden of Eden. Remember in the garden there were these two trees that were particularly significant. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Both of which were forbidden. The tree of knowledge of good and evil... They ate in disobedience, and they were instantly driven out, and gratefully by God, and gracefully by God. Because if they would have then eaten of the tree of life, they would be forever condoomed to that status of sinfulness. You see, what the tree of life is, is the provision of an eternal, everlasting benefit that God wants to give to us. You want to do something that lasts forever? Do God's work. Do God's work. We have a world that's consumed right now politically, particularly with jobs and discussion about economy. Can I just tell you as a child of God, our world is so corrupt and so desperately in need of our message, you can have guaranteed job security if you serve God. I'm not talking about what you get paid. You may have troubles getting a paycheck, but I promise you there is desperate need for what Fellowship Bible Church is. In our world today. And that's what you can have. That which is symbolically even described as similar to what paradise, heaven will be. As we have this wonderful occasion of eternal benefited tree of life existence. I hope today that on this day of celebration that you will first off thank the Lord. And I congratulate you as a church family for your 21st day of celebrating your faithful service to the Lord in this place. But can I remind you, pause and reflect. The sovereign who is over you. The status, it's good to know where you are. The situation that that might reflect that you need. You see, when you review, you find what you do need to do. And then will you respond with that summary of obedience that God requires? Let's pause and ask him to help us do that as we pray. Father, we thank you today for the blessed privilege that it is to have your word to guide us. Thank you for these dear people and their diligent commitment to this place through these years. And we do stand here with deep appreciation and honor to the work of Fellowship Bible Church in this community. Thank you for Pastor Van and Janet and their ministry of leading this ministry and those who serve with them as pastors and church leaders and all who have a part. Oh God, may you hover over this place with divine blessing that will be registered only in eternity. We ask your care as we even would take these thoughts from your word And seek to apply them to our hearts individually. May your work and will be done in each of our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.